1: Quickly, ladies and gentlemen thank you hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to the passing shot with joel and kim the tennis podcast by fans on today's episode backed by our crowdfunders abid Gori and narissa de
0: masterful medvedev wins marseille
1: majestic Muguruza takes dubai
0: and novak djokovic becomes the longest reigning world number one in acp history
1: him another set of tournaments done and dusted on the ATP and WTA tours and I've got to say we've had some finals today on Sunday but I have had to have my mind elsewhere it is Mother's Day in the UK today so although I have been watching some of the tennis I've been a little bit distracted as well with sort of mum duty and flowers and chocolates and all the rest of it so uh yeah it's, it's been a bit uh been a bit distracted today
0: well i hope i hope mother girlings had a nice had a nice day and you've been a dutiful son joel yes. but uh, <laughs> i have to say i was hard at work making making a roast dinner for my mum in the kitchen oh, nice. so quite tired now not gonna lie it takes a lot out of you <laughs> but i'm looking forward to chatting all things tennis with you joel as we do every sunday evening um so yeah we had we had let's start with doha because obviously we've got a load of tournaments as as per let's begin with the atp event out in doha we were eagerly anticipating the return of roger federer um, and actually he ended up losing to the def- the eventual champion who i guess took us all a bit by surprise wasn't uh expecting nicholas basilashvili to walk home with the title but he is a winner again on the atp tour beating roberto bautista in straight sets
1: yeah, it was a final I don't think many people would have been expecting. Bautista Agut who is who's who's actually been pretty good this week and and Basilashvili. Basilashvili with the upset. I mean 7-6 6-2 very good performance bit here for him, but I think he was quite honest with himself. He had zero expectations going into the going into the tournament. I think he'd only won two of his previous 16 matches and lost in the first round at his last four events. So really, yeah, this this title win has come completely out of nowhere. And the fact that he uh, won the event from match point down, uh, you know, against Roger Federer, of all people in the quarterfinals, really, really impressive stuff. I mean, he is a very, very, very solid competitor on the tour. I think he's he's won three titles at 500 level before. So I think you know he's already he's got it capable in his locker but yeah it was still a bit of a surprise you know coming to the end of the week to see his name kind of up in lights as the the trophy kind of winner particularly with you know it was it was pretty, it was a pretty loaded draw, particularly, you know, with Dominic team uh, as well as Federer. Um, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Rublev as well. It was a bit of a surprise to see that name as, as our champion.
0: Yeah, I think apart from the Federer match, he did have quite a kind draw. I mean, no offense, Joel, but he had Malik Sirri. <laughs> uh, How dare you? Know. you. <laughs> but that Federer match, you know, he came through 7-5 in the third set. He saved a match point, And then after that, you know, Taylor Fritz in the semis. Roberto Batista group, yes, he's a, he's a top like, well, he's just outside the top 10 now, but he has been a top 10er and on his day is fantastic. But he's also, you know, uh, beatable in a final. And I mean, for me, I was, I was shocked that Rublev actually had to play a match in the end <laughs> because uh, I don't know if our listeners were, have been following it much, but Rublev had, well, he got into the semi finals without actually having played a match due to uh, a bye and then two walkovers, which I think. is is something we we don't see very often and it's kind of funny but also you know it's not really deserving I guess you know if you consider the other losing semi-finalist Taylor Fritz who had to you know play three matches and then you know he walks away at the end of the week with the same amount of points as as Andre Rublev who hasn't you know sort of stepped on court it's just a, a weird kind of situation to be in.
1: It was a really weird quirk, wasn't it? Cause I, you don't often see back to back, uh, you know, withdrawals, uh, leading to, you know, your progression. I think Rublev would have appreciated it, you know, you know, winning Rotterdam. He probably would have, you know, been happy with a little bit of the time off, but I guess it was a bit of, you know, luck of the draw. I've seen some people kind of talk about sort of the unfairness in the sense that, you know, someone like Taylor Fritz I think he had to play 88 games en route to reach the, the Doha semi-finals, but Rublev played absolutely zero but I mean what can you do if your if your opponent's injured doesn't feel like you know doesn't feel like he can play on court um then you know th- that's you know that's that's their choice and and Rublev is the you know the benefactor of that I do say I think that you know I think what may have been factored into kind of decisions of kind of Fuchevich and Gasquet is is how well Rublev has been playing of late and they probably would have thought you know if I'm anything other than a hundred percent, it's just not worth it. And in those cases it just seemed like it was. But yeah, very, very odd kind of situation to see Rublev kind of be in that semi final without having any uh any any sort of competitive match play. Um but I did think it sort of worked against him because I mean he went and then lost to, to Bautista Agut, who was a bit kind of battle ready, coming coming through Dominic team, you know, Riley Apelkin a really tough first round and, and yeah, Rublev lost in straight. So it didn't necessarily kind of work in his favor from that point on.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that it probably um was a bit of a hindrance in mm. the end and I mean it's not a 500 event so he's probably not fussed about it because he's he's got to win the 500. <laughs> no, he's not bothered about up- the 250, exactly. is he? Exactly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um I mean let's talk a bit about Federer as well because we saw him back his first two matches since you know a long long layoff. Uh, the Dan Evans match in the first round—that was, well, it was the second round technically—but you know, Federer's first match back. That was so close. Dan was so unlucky. I mm, thought to lose that one. Yeah, seven-five in the third set it just got broken right at the end, and yeah, really frustrating. I mean, Dan Evans, you know, had set point in in the first set as well. He could easily have won that that set and did really well to to peg it back to a third. And I mean, Federer was. was Probably quite lucky there, to be honest with you. Um, and Dan Evans a bit unfortunate, but Fedra, you know, had a match point in, in that quarterfinal against Baselashvili lost and he seems to be kind of making a bit of a thing about, um, having match points and losing. Obviously the Wimbledon final against, against Djokovic. And there's been some other examples since, well, I guess over the last couple of years where he's held match points and then lost. I don't know if this is sort of a sign that, you know, as he's kind of, in the twilight stages of his career, he's just not as mentally tough at closing out um, matches. I, I don't know what, do you think that's, is it something he needs to really worry about or it's, it's not really a, a massive crisis? You know, this is his first tournament back. It's a 250, nothing to worry about.
1: I mean the expectations going into this tournament I think were very low uh even from Roger Federer himself. You know, we, we weren't I mean, even as fans, I think even the hard, most hardened of Fed fans, you know, probably weren't expecting him to go on, you know, and win the tournament. And I think him to have two really tough back to back three set matches, um, on you know, on the tour, you know, this is not a grand slam where, you know, you have a, a recovery day in between, but to do these kind of back to back on um, you know, on quite a quick turnaround, I think he would be, I think, pretty happy with with how he performed. I think we saw kind of some glimpses of the of the Roger Federer of old um in terms of his kind of shot making, particularly in that that Dan Evans match. So there was just some times when I think Dan Evans would just have to be like, yeah, you know, too good for one of the, you know, the greatest of all time. But um yeah, I think he will be I think he will be happy. But as you said, it's it is a it is a sort of, you know, if there is one sort of chink in the armor of, you know, someone who is as good as Roger Federer. It is that it is that from match point up situation that he doesn't really excel at because since the start of 2017, I mean, he's lost 7 of 27 matches from match point up. So it is a bit of a habit and I'm not sure what I'm not sure what he can do in kind of practice to kind of negate that but it's i don't know if it's something he's more aware of now because of this because it it just seems to keep happening and it happened in in doha and um yeah i you know it's not going to be on you know he's not going to be i don't think disappointed but you know it's it's one of those things that if it does continue and it happens in bigger tournaments then you know that it could be the difference really between you know him having that you know in, in terms of that big three slam title race it could be the difference between him being the Outright number one or being number two potentially.
0: Yeah, that, that is quite quite right. I mean, so guys, if you go match point down against Federer, do not panic. There's still <laughs> hope. Um, I mean, I think he is very much focusing, you know, on Wimbledon. He said that he still needs another five or six weeks, kind of fitness wise, to get back to 100% so totally fair enough you know he's not playing to buy um this coming week he's gonna you know practice instead i think it's about managing his schedule managing um his knee issue as well which seems like it's going to be a long-term thing now
1: just on that kim he said it doesn't sound like his knee is a hundred percent it doesn't it just sounds like it's going to be the you know the best he's going to be able to have his knee now is at like 80 and percent and it's kind of you know him managing that and and for him it sounds like he when well, he said it himself he needs five or six weeks more of, of fitness and and practice and that's kind of one of the reasons he's decided not to play in uh in dubai so um so you know it, it, there's still obviously kind of a way to go but I think it is interesting to think you know this is a a comeback and it sounds like his knee is going to be there or thereabouts potentially inhibiting him and it's all about sort of managing that situation it feels like a very different sort of comeback to i think earlier on in his career where i think we were kind of almost kind of expecting him to come back win a grand slam and everything will be right as rain again i don't think we're getting i don't think we're going to get those vibes i'll be very impressed if we do uh, get those kind of situations in this comeback
0: yeah, exactly. I, I think I don't think we should expect um expect that. It's just as you get older, you know, you have to manage conditions don't you? So we shall see when Federer is next back on the court what he manages to to do. But um I was really pleased with Dan Evans um against Federer, I have to say. I, I had pegged Dan Evans to win that one and he came ever I so, was close. so close. <laughs> yeah. Just a note actually on, on Baselashville, um, eyebrows were actually raised quite a bit, weren't they, Joel, by him winning because there is actually an ongoing domestic violence um charge against him uh in his home country of Georgia. Uh, I think his his ex wife has a has a restraining order against him and, and hearings are kind of ongoing. So he um has been granted bail and he you know, if, if he is found guilty of this charge, you know, he would actually potentially be facing jail time. So whilst all this is going on, um he's at he's allowed to keep playing on the tour. So, you know, this has raised eyebrows with people who obviously don't agree that he should be able to to keep his yeah. career up and then keep playing. And, you know, there's a lot of criticisms that have come out, um, you know, and I, I guess rightly so, um, for for this. is a bit of a bone of of contention.
1: I guess the more kind of famous case with uh, maybe a broader audience is the, you know, the, the Alexander Zverev case, um, that is sort of, uh, you know, I don't know where it's at at the moment, but that obviously came to light, uh, last season. And, um, you know, this is a, a case that's sort of similar to that. And again, it, it sort of, it sort of shows, I think, that, you know, the ATP, I think, still has a lot to do in, in some regards. And, and, you know, some will say, you know, they're sort of, skirting this issue they don't want to get involved it could open up you know a massive kind of can of worms that they just don't want to be kind of associated with and that's maybe why they're not you know doing anything like a a suspension for example but at the same time you know when you're going to have players like Zverev Basajvili on the tour they might be kind of associated with this news and if it does escalate it might put more pressure on the ATP to to do something about it because from what i understand at the moment it's really like they're not they're not not really doing anything about it and they're just sort of letting him you know carry on and and and, and you know go about his his day job some people will think that that's fine until you know innocent until kind of proven guilty in the court of law um, sort of theory but there's going to be people who are going to have the you know a different point of view on that
0: yeah just the ATP silence and we saw how silent they were over the Zverev issue mm. I think that's that's really um, I guess the issue they just haven't said anything so we will see if well I don't think they're suddenly going to say something just because he's won a title but I mean it does raise that debate again you know because I think Since that's a rare thing, I mean that's kind of gone a bit silent, hasn't it? So um, we'll we'll keep everyone posted if there is any developments. But um, let's look at the Dubai event, Joel, next because uh, let's stay let's stay in the Middle East. We had the WTA. One thousand event out in Dubai, and Garbina Muguruza has come home with a title. It's her first title in two years, which for me is incredibly surprising because she's been in such good form. Mm. I'm surprised that she actually hasn't won a title. She's uh, had nothing uh, to show for it. Yeah, she's had
1: not absolutely. I feel like nothing to show for the yeah the magnificent form that she has been in, particularly since the start of this season. She. You know, we, we spoke about during the Australian Open, that match against Osaka where she had match points. You felt like that could have been a, a grand Slam final, the level of, of play being showed by both competitors. And she's really just kind of carried that on. And, you know, she's 18 and four on the season. And yeah, I mean, first title since, I think, Cincinnati in, in 2017. Eighth title overall. I mean, it was just another, you know, it was another really consistent kind of a, performance all the way through and I think what will be most impressive for her is the is the way that I guess she bounced back from kind of Doha last week you know remember that final against Kvitova and she got absolutely blown away I think it was kind of like you know one and two so I think she'll be really impressed with how she's kind of responded and and you know put that aside and just kind of blitzed the competition in front of her um the match I think we, against Sabalenka. I think for me, that was almost uh, the final. Um, it was a real, another kind of three-set tussle. I think they had another three-set tussle last week. But um, yeah, Muguruza just just seems to be playing great tennis at the moment.
0: Yeah, she had another Czech player in the final this week, Barbora who who is better known for her doubles. You know, let's mm. face it, she's been world number one in doubles and this was her second uh, second singles final. So she's still looking to, to get her first singles title. But um, yeah, Muguruza, I think she did win Monterey two years ago. So that was her last title. But her kind of last big title was Cincy in in 2017. But yeah, I mean, she came through Sviontek this week as well. Love and four. So it's not every day that you bagel, you know, eager Sviontek, who who has been in good form, you know, winning uh, the event last week. Um, And then, as you said, the Sabalenka match, quite pivotal. And uh, Elise Mertens as well, who's also been in pretty decent form. So a great week from Muguruza. Finally managing to get that title you know this is her third final of the year and obviously she reached the Aussie Open final last year so she's been she's been in good uh, you know in good good shape for a while but actually managing to finally crack um, the win this time.
1: I think Kim the best part of this as a fan just watching it on TV was the the setup in her coach's box because Obviously, she would normally have Conchita Martinez there, but I think she um, was in isolation. I think she tested positive for coronavirus, so she was in a hotel room and as a result couldn't be in the player box. So what was the next best alternative? They had a iPhone on like a selfie stick doing a little live stream of the match straight from the player box, which just looked it just looked. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before. But it, you know, we're on this new situation. New, I think, what well, new circumstances prevail, and it was just so funny to see that. And I guess that's the, you know, she. I think Muguruza loves that. You know, that partnership is working really well. And you know, I guess it's a testament of how far they've taken it that you know they've got this setup to make sure that martinez can watch her player from her player box even if she can't be there
0: didn't martinez have a have a tv she could have watched the I match don't know. <laughs> well, that's i
1: don't know i didn't know if like the wta were going to come down on her and be like you can't live stream this match from your phone even if it's from the player box yeah
0: um. <laughs> contravenes like tournament regulations but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i suppose it was just you know nice to have like to know she was watching um watching her player i suppose but yeah i thought that was quite amusing um another interesting uh well we had a Jessica Pagula doing quite well this week, reaching another quarterfinal. She absolutely thrashed Carolina plishkova who is really Again. having a ter- terrible run of form. Yeah, terrible year continuing. That was love and two. So I mean, I was a bit sort of um I was expecting Pagula to actually come through Mertons, but she she was a set up and, and got thrashed in that last set, at six love. But anyhow, another another fairly good week for for. for
1: Pegula. I mean, both Pegula and Mertens are playing really mm, good tennis. Yeah. I would mm. actually say Mertens is probably the most consistent tour player. Um, maybe not kind of come to Grand Sams, but on the tour, I feel like she always gets to there or thereabouts in every single tournament she's, she's played in. And I think she's actually one of the most unlucky players, uh, with kind of the ranking freeze and, and how that's sort of playing out at the moment, because I think her consistency should be rewarded with a, you know, a top 10 top 10 mm-hmm. birth and you know she's not she's not re- reaping those sorts of rewards um and that you know for her is probably the next best thing if she can't you know win the title and you know getting to all of the you know the business ends of these events you know the semi-finals uh final or whatever it's not really paying her any dividends at the moment so i think she will be a kind of a bit annoyed that you know she's doing all this work and it's you know she's playing really consistently and really well but it's not really doing anything for her but um yeah there was quite a few there was quite a few interesting bagels i thought came in in uh in dubai because as you said the the mertens Pagula match i mean i think Pagula was seven five five two up and then mertens just just came back and that third set i mean i think Pegula was a bit tired i think i think she just literally had run out of steam because she came through qualifying last week in um in doha and um yeah i just think I I just think she didn't have any gas gas left to give and and Merton's kind of run away with it. But yeah, it was a very it was a very um, it was a very tough match. I think for those first two sets, particularly.
0: Also, when is Coco Goff and Jill Tightman going to stop playing each other in, in draws? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again they played and Jill Tightman came out on top of that one re- and reaching the semi-finals as well, which is Tightman Krechitska is probably not what you had written down for a thousand level event, but there we go.
1: It was going to open up. I mean, we we talked about, you know, the fact that Svitilin has not also been in in the best of form and it wasn't really a surprise in that top half that, I mean, the the two quarterfinals and beyond, it was all unseeded players. So um, there were big opportunities there to be made and they were taken by the, you know, the unseeded players.
0: Yeah, go them, go unseeded players. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about Marseille, Joel. Uh, ATP 250 event, as we mentioned in the uh, beginning, Daniel Medvedev has won this event. Uh, so yeah, he's a, he's the new world number two. And you know, st- as of tomorrow, the 15th of March, and he came through against Pierre Hugues Herbert in three sets, uh, today, six, four, six, seven, six, four. So, um, yeah, backing up, I guess his new ranking position with, with a win. I think this is his 10th title overall, um, all of which have come on a hard court. So when will he get his first non hardcore title that may come very soon indeed who knows but um yeah i mean what did you make of his performance this week did he just got the job done did what he needed to do
1: yeah i mean it was pretty um routine through to the finals it was a it was quite a tight affair in that final against air bear who you know likes to come to the net um and you know Medvedev had to kind of figure that out and and find a solution but you know he talked about i think in his his press conference the fact that he feels most comfortable on a hard court he knows what the solutions are when kind of presented with a challenge and i think you know even even though it was kind of quite a tight scoreline he was able to kind of figure out on court you know the fact that Ebert was looking to get to the net he's a bit of a net rusher you know we know he's a great doubles player um but he was Medvedev was able to kind of figure that out and i think it's complete contrast to you know that I think that the image we have of of Medvedev in Rotterdam of him just obliterating his racket, and I think in kind of contrast to that, I think this kind of tournament shows you that if he if he can keep his cool, good like good things happen, and if if he is if he doesn't keep his cool bad things happen and i think i know that's a really kind of simplistic analogy but i I do think kind of if you look at how he played in rotterdam look at how he played in marseille mm. i think the kind of this sort of more composed medvedev i think will reap more sort of rewards and dividends um you know in, t- in terms of kind of titles um i don't see him as much as a sort of Novak Djokovic, even though their styles of play might be similar. I don't maybe see him more as a Novak Djokovic sort of, I need to get G'd up and get angry. Um, and maybe this this tournament proved that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also helped that he didn't have said Novak Djokovic down the other end very uh, true. Mm. to get frustrated by. But yeah, I mean, he um, came through Yannick Sinner quite comfortably in the, uh, the quarterfinals. So um, it's good to see Sinner back. But um, yeah, it was um, a very sort of, standard week, I suppose, uh, Medvedev, you know, fight, keeping his cool. Um, and actually, interestingly, Joel, uh, I, I know he's, he's got to world number two now, which is great for him. But there, people have been saying he could actually get to world number one this year, which is kind of like, really? But actually, if you look at it, there's about 2000 points between him and Novak. And, you know, Novak's got quite a lot of points coming up to, to defend. Um, Obviously, Wimbledon points, French Open. Um, Medvedev doesn't really have many points to defend uh, on the clay and grass because, you know, he's not particularly been great on those in the past. So do, could you see it happening that he would be world number one? I mean, that would be quite something if, if so.
1: I don't know at the moment. Um, I think the biggest, obviously, the biggest unknown is, is you know, how well Medvedev is going to, play on grass and and clay it's the it's sort of the you know it's the Naomi Osaka question on on the men's side I think in terms of you know we've seen Medvedev really proficient on a hard court yes he's got you know all 10 titles have, have come on that surface but if he wants to really kind of be there or thereabouts for the whole season at the, the very top he's going to be able he's going to need to be able to do it across all the all the court surfaces and that for me is probably the biggest kind of influencer in terms of you know if if he does achieve world number one if it is possible that is going to have to change Novak Djokovic going the other way I think is also going to have to change you know as you say he's got a lot of the points to defend so if he has a couple of bad tournaments again that could play in in Medvedev's favor but I think it's totally up in the air at the moment I mean we talked about the ATP rankings last week it I feel like it changes quite often so I don't know if that is going to benefit I think we're only going to as time goes on I think we're only going to know if it's going to benefit Djokovic or if it's going to benefit Medvedev but I think you know if this was like the old ranking system then yeah I think Medvedev definitely would have had a chance but I think as I said the biggest unknown is can he turn his his form onto the you know onto the clay and, and grass courts.
0: Yeah, a bit like Naomi Osaka, you know, she's looking for results on the other surfaces now, and and very much so will, will Daniel Medvedev. Um, just a note actually, Joel, uh, for the doubles in Marseille, we had uh, quite a surprising win from Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Heliovara. Uh, who, Lloyd Glasspool being being a British player, um, who you know has had. Well, hasn't really had many notable results, I have to say, but many British fans will have heard of him at least. They beat Sander Ahrens and David Pell, 7576, to win the doubles title in Marseille, beat the Skupskis en route, beat the Sitsapas brothers as well. Um, so that's great. That's Glasgow's first ATP tour level doubles title. And he's going to go up to a uh, just outside the top hundred in the doubles. So, um, and yet another British tennis player making waves in the doubles and hopefully you know this is onward and upward i think he's got a good partnership with with helio vara they've they've got mm. to a lot of challenger finals um recently so obviously that's good that they've kind of managed to transfer that over to the atp tour as well
1: that was really really impressive from them uh i i wasn't aware that they um you know have been kind of plying their trade on the on the challenger tour but obviously they're gelling well as a partnership and they've really kind of taken that opportunity kind of on the the atp tour um i don't know if this is going to be a A permanent thing in terms of that partnership, um, as a, you know, a doubles team. But, um, yeah, really, uh, you know, really happy to kind of see that, that success because Lloyd Glasspool is one of those players, I think, very kind of talented individual, but we, that we don't really hear a lot about. But maybe as a doubles player, he's potentially could do a bit of a, I don't know, like a Domingue or a a Johnny Marray and, and kind of ply maybe on the, you know, pick and choose perhaps some of the, you know, the ATP 250, some of the low hanging fruit events and make the most of those opportunities that are, I guess, coming at the moment to, uh you know, to these players on the Challenger Tour when, you know, draws need to be filled with players. And because of COVID restrictions, et cetera, players not wanting to go anywhere, they can, you know, they'll happily kind of make the numbers. And um yeah, they really kind of took took that opportunity this week.
0: Definitely. And another player who's taking opportunities out in Guadalajara is Sara Soribes-Tormo of Spain. So great week for Spain on the WTA Tour. It's two titles out of two. Uh, she came through against Bouchard six two seven five in the final out in Mexico. So this was uh, Sara Soribes-Tormo's first WTA title um, you know, she's, we've sort of seen her there and thereabouts. You know, I, I don't know if many listeners will remember she's the one that beat Naomi Osaka in, in the Fed Cup last year. She's also the player, Joel, that had that terrible loss to Zabalenka from six love, four love up. Uh, I feel it- like she
1: got some like notoriety from that loss, uh, from such oh. a strong, from such a strong position. But yeah, I think both, I actually just on that, I just think both of those players, uh, Bouchard and Suribes, uh, Tormo, then, I was, I was looking at their records kind of like in finals and I think kind of post quarterfinals in events and they both don't have good records, um, you know, in the business end of events. I think Bouchard in finals is now one and seven, which is not great. Cerebes Tormo, I don't think was a had a very good record post kind of quarterfinals as well. So you could see it meant a lot to her um in her reaction uh when she she won the won the won the tournament i think also she was five two down in that second set so you know she's been in you know she's obviously been in uh kind of sticky and bad situations before going back to that uh, ostrava incident against sabalenka so you know she must have been a bundle of nerves with you know the opportunity to kind of see out her first wta tour title
0: yeah exactly and and this obviously it's a, it was a kind of 250 level event so um she did well to, to come through beating uh, the second seed Buskova in in the semi-finals as well and and Podorowska, who was the top seed she fell quite early to Elisabetta Cocciaretto, who ended up getting through to the semis. But I guess a good week for Bouchard. You know, it's probably her first final in quite a while. So although she's not winning them, it's, you know, positive.
1: And Kim, also, just on Bouchard, I mean, fair play. She was one of those players who went from Lyon all the way to Mexico to play this. I think she said that she arrived the night before her round one match, different time zone, different continent, probably didn't know what's what. And you know she just took a chance and yeah got got to the final so you know really really impressive stuff from from her really vindicating that wild card that I think you know a lot of people would have that, that some people I think were unfairly sort of questioning but yeah really really doing well and I hope she can kind of continue this form and we can see her back I think where she belongs on the you know on the WTA main draw tour and I'd love to see more I guess matchups of Bouchard versus you know the the higher ranked kind of top 10 players so i always think those are the matches where she gets kind of most fired up you know we always remember that match she had with sharapova after you know she had those words that she you know she called her a cheat. and i want to see more of those matchups because i think that she really has that fire in her belly when she gets in those um you know she gets in those main draws and is up against players who are um you know in the top 10 or whatever
0: no, definitely. And and just the last event Joel uh of this week, Alson Santiago, Chile. Uh, I like the sponsor of this one. It's Dove Men. Plus care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Christian Garin, who is the home hope uh, and top seed. He's currently, um, as we're recording this, uh, I'm afraid we we, could, we didn't really want to stay up too late. Uh, so it is actually underway, the final as we're recording. It's a set all. Uh, Christian Garin is playing Facundo Bagnis, um, who, according to my Live Scores app, has just taken a toilet break. How fascinating. Um, it's a set all. It's a set all. 6-4, Garin first set 7-6 to Bagnis in the second. Um, So, I I mean, I would expect Garen would come through that one, but uh, for for Kundo Bagnis, yeah, Argentinian unseeded player, um, working his way through the draw into the final. Um, I was watching out to see what Serendolo would do uh, this week, but we didn't. Which one? Well, okay. Yeah, actually, (laughs) well, Francisco fell at the first hurdle, but Juan Manuel fell at the, well, second hurdle. So, Yeah, not able to make it a third final in a row for, for either one or the other of, of the brothers, uh, I'm afraid.
1: Christian Garin, I think he's he's almost at the moment, he's on course to do what Diego Schwartzman did last week in his home tournament. Garin is, is sort of very closely to kind of doing the same and, and replicating that. So I think he will be if he can if he can win this final set, um, he'll be absolutely over the moon to deliver a, a title um in his in his home event.
0: Exactly. And, uh, well, we'll, uh, I'm sure by the time everyone's listening to this, we'll, we'll know who the winner is, but, uh, we'll see how that one turns out. But yeah, a fairly decent, um, week, I suppose. Benoit Pair out and, and losing to, to Holger Rune, the, the young Danish player and, and having a bit of a rant actually on, on social media. Benoit Pair, you know, sort of having i guess i guess saying what a lot of players have been saying but sort of just saying how un, unfun he's finding it mm. at the moment with um all the restrictions yeah. and the travel with covid and i guess he needed to get it off his chest and you know fair play to him
1: yeah it was an interesting post and uh, listeners if, if you want to have a look at it it's a really i think good insight into how some of the players are feeling about this tour um and how it's set up and run at the moment i think he kind of quite candidly called it a pseudo ATP tour. And yeah, he he said he's going to kind of put up with it and just kind of, you know, refocus why, you know, why he's there and just like the love of the game and hitting on the court. But I think other players have kind of reached the same conclusions, but have have gone about it in a different way. You know, we spoke about Gilles Simon, taking taking time off and i think he's in a maybe he's been a bit disillusioned in the same way that pair has but they've both had different responses and although pairs results haven't been great of late uh, particularly in the in south america you know he's want he you know maybe he's been affected by the you know the, the tour that's going on he needs to adapt and i think that's kind of the i think that's the. That's the thing that he he needs to do. And I don't think he's doing as well as some of the, you know, the other players on tour at the moment. So and he needs, to, regardless of what he thinks, he needs to adapt. And I think that's what he needs to, he needs mm. to think about how, you know, how he does that going forward. Otherwise, you know, he's just going to be dropping down the rankings.
0: For sure. Right. Let's take a quick break now, Joel. Um, but do join us listeners in the second half. We'll be looking at Novak Djokovic's new number one record. Andy Murray's new child uh, and all of the draws for for next week, including Acapulco, Dubai and St. Petersburg. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot and you are joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to mysterious player my favorite part of the podcast uh love a bit of quizzing so um, but actually joel we are changing up a bit we're gonna have very exciting game show style buzzer sounds to uh supplement <laughs> the, the mysterious player so uh listeners for every wrong answer that, that joel states you're going to hear this <sighs> and for every right answer you will hear this so are you ready, Joel? Are you ready for what I've
1: got for you this week? Kim, I'm fully expecting there to be more wrong buzzer sounds than the one. We're going to have a lot of more wrong buzzer sounds before we probably hit the right. Well, I'm hoping we hit the right buzzer sound. So, uh, yeah, let's let's go for it.
0: Maybe. I think I've chosen someone fairly reasonable this week. So. Oh, OK. <laughs> okay. Well, <this laughs> we shall see. Thing. Yeah. It's a thing,
1: but also adds more pressure, I feel, to the situation. Mm,
0: indeed. OK, right. Clue number one. I was born on the twenty seventh of April, nineteen
1: ninety five. Okay, so quite a y- quite well younger than me. So there'll be uh oh five fifteen, so like 25, 26. Um, I'm gonna go with Nicholas Jerry.
0: <clears throat> oh, <laughs> isn't how how old? I don't know how old Nicholas Jerry is, but uh, it's not Nicholas Jerry. Oh okay. I am currently ranked number 47 in the ATP rankings.
1: Um, I'm going to say ATP rankings. Who is a male? Okay. Um, Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz is not 25.
0: He's like 12. (laughs) No, (laughs) he's like 16, Joel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're actually, yeah. Fair play. Um, Okay. I have won six career
1: titles. Okay, so still quite so twenty five and six titles. That suggests to me they're like a solid. They're a solid player, not exceptional, just very very solid. Roberto Bautista Agut.
0: Well, is is he ranked forty seven in the world at the moment? Oh, oh I forgot. Uh, yeah, I forgot oh. completely. Forgot <laughs> that nightmare. Okay, that's all right. I have reached two Grand Slam quarterfinals.
1: Tennis Sangrin.
0: Mm. Oh, <laughs> um, I think he has reached two quarters, but um, no, it's not Tennis Sangrin. Oh, okay. Unfortunately. Um, right. I have been as high as 13 in the rankings.
1: So as high as 13, quarterfinals... Oh my god! Uh, oh, where are those qualifiers going to be? The French. I feel like for some reason. I feel like they're going to be at the French Open. I don't know. Don't really know why. Um, or maybe Wimbledon. Um, I'm going to say. Um, oh, oh, I don't know, Jacksot. <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. I know it's wrong.
0: No, you're Jack not. Sott. You're not far off, actually. Um, okay. You know, okay. in, you're in the sort of going in the right direction. Uh, Okay, next clue. Next clue. I am only the third player after Dominic Herberty and Leighton Hewitt to have beaten Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic the first time I played each of them. Is it Fernando Vadasco? I wish Fernando Vadasco was still 25, Joel.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. That's that's not good.
0: It's all right. Um... I pledged to donate $200 for every ace I served during the Australian Open 2020 in response to the bushfires.
1: Okay. I think I know who it is. Is it Nick Kyrgios? Yay, it
0: is Nick (laughs) Kyrgios. (laughs) Yes, I
1: got it, finally. Woo, listeners. That's a really good stat, actually, about the Dominic Herberty and... uh, I didn't know that, but okay. I know.
0: Um, yeah, listeners, how did you get on? Did, did you manage to beat Joel um, or, or perhaps not? I mean, I think everyone would have got it on my last clue, which was going to be the fact that Kirios was fined $113,000 for five separate incidents of unsportsmanlike conduct <laughs> at the 2019 Cincinnati Masters. I'm pretty sure we would all have worked it out by that point in time. But yeah, it was it was indeed Nick Kyrgios for this week's uh, Mysterious Player.
1: Okay, well, let's move on to the passing shot mailbag. We had another listener question come in this week. It was from Robbie Lung on Twitter, and he asked Joel and Kim, "Why has Sabalenka not been able to break through at Grand Slams compared to Naomi Osaka, despite their similar play styles?" So, really good question. Uh, I've I had a long, hard think about this uh, today. I've put down some, some viewpoints, but Kim, I'm going to let you go, th- go first. What are your, what was your kind of initial thoughts when you can kind of compare Sabalenka and Osaka and the fact that they do have that sort of very much that power game from the, the mm. baseline, but Osaka has a lot more to show for it, really, particularly at the slam level than, than Sabalenka.
0: Yeah, for sure. They're kind of worlds apart in terms of what they've actually achieved Mm. at slams, yet they have a quite similar game. So I think for me, it (laughs) it kind of comes down to that mental fortitude and, and just being able to be consistent and produce your best tennis when it really, you know, push comes to shove. Because we know on her day, Sabalenka is amazing and she's shown that at other events. But at the slams, she's not been past the fourth round still. So, I mean, she's still very young. So I think certainly it is bound to happen at at some point but i think i think it's just mental toughness i think you know and and the fact she's probably more she is more likely to go walk about and then her games just kind of going to go kind of fall apart and go a bit aerostrone when it really doesn't need to you know when she really needs it to to kind of be on
1: i do think that mental toughness is a is a key differentiator because I think about some of the situations Osaka has been in, you know, even despite being such a young age, you know, that Serena Williams incident, the US Open final, you know, the, the pressure of a nation, you know, being world number one. She's been in, I think, a lot, very, very tough kind of situations that maybe Sabalenka hasn't been in. And as a result of that, that's, I think, put her up a, put her up a level. Um, I would, I would also just add, I think also that I don't think, I mean, yes, we see kind of Sabalenka, um doing kind of really well on the you know the singles sort of outside of the the Grand Slams but I don't I still think at the moment she hasn't really fully embraced singles competition. You know, we've seen her and Elise Mertens do really well in in the doubles and I still think that you know up till now I know they've kind of split and and said that you know they're going to be focusing on their kind of singles game, which I think is the right decision. But I think up till now, I think it has sort of compromised her ability in in singles and if she if she's really wants to be focused to get you know to make that breakthrough into kind of the second week of of a grand slam you know wherever it is um she's gonna need to you know be all in on on the singles approach and not have room for doubles um you know particularly i think coming into kind of the you know the you know the business years of her career which you know are still obviously ahead of her but Yeah, I think the fact that you know Asaka doesn't really embrace doubles, I think, like Sabalenka does, I think, has helped her just kind of focus in on okay, there are some really top players in the singles game. How do I beat them? Whereas I think maybe Sabalenka is a little bit compromised by you know having to think about doubles as well.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the more successful you are at you are at doubles, you sort of think, oh, I'd like to keep having mm. that success as well. So maybe it's harder to, to break away from it. And I think, you know, like Caroline Garcia obviously was very uh, successful with Mladenovic in the doubles. You know, they won Roland Garros and they, um, you know, got to the world, to- the, you know, the WTA finals, but then sort of had a break because they, well, they both really wanted to focus on their singles. And I think Sabalenka's is obviously taking a step in, in the same, same direction by, by not playing with Mertens at slams kind of going forward. So mm to allow herself to really focus on the single. So hopefully Robbie's question, you know, a year from now we will be saying (laughs) yes, finally she has managed to break through because yeah, she definitely has the game. And um, I think it's, it's, I do think it's bound to happen rather than not at all so yeah i think i think uh fingers crossed um but yeah great question keep them coming guys we love to um have your thoughts and and questions to consider for for the mailbag every week so do give us a shout if you've got any that you'd like us to answer uh back to the tennis joel we have a very um well phenomenal record i suppose that has been kind of Blowed out of the water now. Um, Novak Djokovic is, is making history yet again. He has now become the longest reigning world number one in ATP history. So beating Roger Federer's record, uh, of 310 weeks at world number one. Novak is now the all time leader, uh, on the, on the ATP circuit for total weeks at number one. Um, he's not actually very far off Steffi Graf, uh, who has got the all time leader of that record for 377 weeks. So, you know, another year and a bit, and he will be ahead of Steffi Graf as well if he can keep it up and, and stay world number one. But yeah, 311 weeks and counting for Novak. I mean, that is just such a, a momentous achievement when you think about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's really really impressive and I think the, the best way to look at this I think you know from my point of view I think is looking at it as a fan in terms of that that comparison between your ranking and the number of kind of slam titles that that, that are against your name and I actually think maybe when all is said and done we look back on the big three and all of their records I don't know if how much this is going to be of a, a separator of, of the of them I think you know we I think we always naturally gravitate to kind of slams and, and look at that number as sort of the, you know, the comparison for, for greatness. But I do think that there is merit kind of looking at the ranking because I think that, you know, 300 and, you know, bre- breaking the record of 310 weeks, for me, that just shows the kind of the consistency and you know the consistency over a, an extended period of time this is not just talking about being the best player um you know from a draw of 128 people in in 2 weeks this is about being the best player in the world uh you know above all of your competitors over an extensive period of time and i think for me that does have some a lot of merit and you know even though there will be people out there i imagine who will naturally kind of look at Titles as a more um, you know superior indicator. I don't think this can be sort of swept under the covers because it is such a a magnificent achievement. And I think particularly for someone like a Djokovic, who is a bit of a fighter. You know, he's not he's not like a Pete Sampras, for example. He's got a big serve that can kind of you know make sure that he can kind of have easy wins. He, he very much is a, a point constructor, a grafter, and you know he's one of the best. one of the very best of that and the fact he's been able to do that brand of tennis over such a long period of time is just really really impressive
0: yeah that's why when I heard that Medvedev could potentially become world number one this summer I was like oh but but Novak's the world number one like to me he's just (laughs) solidified I don't think of any I mean I know Rafa's been world number one a lot as well but I've just got used so used to Djokovic being world number one I just mentally think oh but Wait, that could, that could end, you know, because it's just been such a long time. And yeah, I think when all is said and done, if they all finish on the same amount of slams, you know, you would then look at the world number one record as probably the next, next thing. So I think, you know, he's obviously wanted to get this achievement. He's done it now. You know, he said that he is lightening his schedule so he can focus on the slams because I guess, you know, now he's can kind of tick off the world number one thing. It's, it's the slams that is, that is the thing, but I guess it's, it'll be interesting if he wants to. Perhaps try and beat Steffi Graf's record, but um, yeah, I mean it's just incredible. And yeah,
1: I think the I think the only question I think at the moment is, uh, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the rankings and you know who's it who's it benefiting, and, and you know there is talk about you know the, the way the rankings are are at the moment benefiting the the top players and and limiting you know the imp- the improving players and it's sort of keeping everyone in check and in their sort of same position. And I just hope that you know that doesn't sort of I guess, devalue the, the weeks that I guess Djokovic is accruing, um, you know, at the moment, you know, in, you know, before, during, you know, around the kind of coronavirus, because I still think he's been, you know, on a court, uh, you know, the the, num- the number one player. But I just hope that hasn't, you know, the, the sort of ranking changes doesn't really, for me, weaken the the achievement. But I don't know if, if for some of our listeners it, it might do, but I, I don't think it should.
0: No, I, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think it would. I, I, I don't think well, however the rankings were were done during the the pandemic it's not going to change Djokovic being the world number 1 so I think that's that's one thing I I think would just be a dead cert regardless <laughs> uh, but talking about the ATP Joel, we've also had a bit of an announcement um this week uh Andrea Gaudenzi who's the the ATP chief um they're doing a lot of work actually on kind of overhauling um how tennis is is structured as we know at the moment it's it's very Un, ununified. It's very fractured. There's, you know, seven different organizations, uh, running different parts of, of the game. You know, you've got the ITF, you've got the foregrounds, slams you've got the ATP and the WTA, but they've kind of set up a, a T7 working group, um, which is going to work very hard, I guess, over the next year to try and make things a bit more unified, a bit more joined up. Um, to explore how they can kind of bring everything together um, across the two tours and with all of the slams and the ITF events as well. So, I mean, obviously it's kind of a long-term thing. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, no, they're kind of going <laughs> to. I think brainstorm ideas what they can do to kind of meet the challenges as well. Um, but interestingly, you know, Gal Denzi has said, you know, that tennis relies quite heavily or too heavily on on ticket sales, and obviously we've seen with the the lack of crowds, you know, the inability to have crowds at tennis, that tournaments are really struggling without that revenue. So they need to kind of put things in ch- like structurally to change so that they can actually have a more sustainable tour that isn't so reliant on on ticket sales because we don't know how long this this pandemic is gonna is gonna go on for, to be quite honest with you. So they need to to make um the sport more more joined up and, and more sustainable.
1: Def- definitely. I think this is. I think this has obviously been long overdue. I'm actually surprised it wasn't already. Mm. It might have been set up already. It just didn't maybe it just didn't have a name. So I'm sort of glad that these kind of conversations are now in place and are going to be ongoing in this working group. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in these kind of conversations to see where they're heading. But I definitely think that they are right to look at kind of all of the the jigsaw pieces that are in place, you know, across the whole tennis landscape. And in order to do that, you need absolutely everyone on board, including the, you know, the governing bodies, um, the represent the representatives of the Grand Slams, all of these sorts of stakeholders and having a, that sort of unified uh, vision. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, what, what are the implications of this and, and, and how far they go. Um, I think there's a feeling that, you know, people want this change to happen. You know, we saw that from a player point of view with you know Roger Federer kind of say you know stating it you know during the you know the first wave and yeah I just hope that Gaudenzi's vision does kind of have does bear some sort of fruit and <laughs> bureaucracy doesn't get in the way because it does feel like it is for the good of the game in terms of that sustainability particularly with the, the ticket sales because that was something as a fan I didn't realize that events are kind of you know reliant on and I, I thought it was um, you know perhaps a bit more naively i thought it was a little bit like football where kind of ticket sales almost a drop in the ocean versus you know sponsorship and you know that that side but um yeah i'm i'm, I'm curious to see how this kind of goes it's a, you know this is a clearly a marathon not a sprint but i'm happy that these kind of things are set up because i think at the end of the day fans are really kind of be able to benefit of you know if a more kind of sustainable approach does come together
0: absolutely I, I was the same as you i didn't realize the importance of of us fans uh but now we you know we can we can yeah bloat our own importance when we go there and um they need us joel they need us uh but yeah it's uh we'll have to see it's not going to be overnight is it but it's a step in the right direction and uh yeah we'll uh keep everyone updated when we get uh further news and it's it's announced but um just another bit of news before we look at uh the events happening next week i didn't know this joel I didn't know that this was even a thing on on the radar on, on the cards. But Andy Murray is now, um, yeah, he's fa- he's now father of four because his wife Kim has given birth to their fourth child um, this this well just over the weekend. So um, Andy has withdrawn from from the Dubai uh, tournament this week. But yeah, I didn't even know that they um, were expecting a fourth. So you know very happy news for the murray family obviously been keeping busy during lockdown uh, i can't believe he's got four kids that's gonna be a right hand uh, handful isn't it the baby but, uh...
1: boom the, the lockdown <laughs> baby boom is is coming and andy murray is obviously a part of that i honestly i was the same as you i'm a big murray fan i had no idea um that that Kim Sears was uh, about to give about to give birth, so um, you know, really excited, really happy for them. Absolutely, the right decision not to you know to withdraw from Dubai and have more sort of family time at home. And uh, yeah, really, 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 uh, really, really happy for them. And yeah, it's, it's great to see. It's a big, it's a big family that keeps growing, doesn't it? It does. When when will it stop? But yeah, but then there's more potential
0: for future tennis playing Murray. So that's good. Very true. Um, yeah, well, hey, uh, I mean, Federer's got four kids as well. He's obviously just just copying Roger. <laughs> uh, but anyway, as, as we were saying, Dubai is happening. There's no Rafa, there's no Roger, there's no Murray. Um, but oh, there's no Djokovic as well. Uh, so <laughs> we do have Dominic Thiem as the top seed and Rublev as the second seed. And now it is an ATP 500 eventual. So all obviously... eyes on Rublev.
1: All <laughs> eyes on Rublev. How's he going to do? Um... If he doesn't
0: win, I'll be gutted. Uh...
1: <laughs> I know all eyes will be on Rublev and how he does. Can he continue the 500 streak? I mean, he could face um in uh, his third round match. Um, so that could be quite interesting. Villy, interestingly, I think has to play Taylor Fritz in his second round. I think they just faced off against each other in, in semi-finals in uh, Doha. So, um, yeah, so uh, Rublev, I think all eyes will be on him. Um, interestingly, something I didn't realise existed, um, Ma- Matthew Ebden from Australia, he did really well in Marseille. I think he got to the semis in the singles and the doubles. He has been given a special exemption in the draw, but he's been given a protected buy into the second round which i didn't know was a thing but i quite like he was quite cool and i quite like i quite like it so he's been put straight through into um the second the second round however he does he does get bautista agout so not the not the kindest of draws there dan evans um is going to be uh facing aslan Karatsev as well in the second round He, he came through grasimov uh, today, so that could be a very interesting one. I feel like Dan Evans is playing well at the moment. He's very unlucky, I think, in that Federer match. So, yeah, there's uh, definitely a few, a few interesting matches at play. Dominic team as well. I think will be wanting to make sure that he can kind of continue some form because he's been a bit, he's been a bit quiet since the Australian Open. I mean, he was a little bit quiet during the Australian Open as well.
0: Yeah, he's been a bit meh, hasn't he? Uh, for mm. want of a better word, but we'll we'll hopefully he'll be able to get get back on track. I think he's got a fairly decent draw, um, I have to say. So I think he'll be doing quite. A bit better this week. Um, we've also got another 500. Actually, I didn't realise this was this was a 500 as well. Acapulco. Um, Sitsipas is headlining that one as the top seed and Zverev as the second seed. Zverev against Carlos Alcaraz in the first round is mm. uh, quite interesting. But um, yeah, this is the uh, event that Rafa is not playing because the appearance fee uh obviously didn't didn't cut the mustard. Uh the tournament couldn't afford to pay the usual to, to Rafa to get him to go out to to Mexico. But um yeah, Cam Norrie's out there um in, in you know British player uh, playing against the qualifier so hopefully he'll be able to do decent uh this week and you've got obviously the likes of Schwarzman, Milos Raonic, etc. Uh Seb Corda is in action as well. He's up against Chinich first round. That's quite an interesting one.
1: I'm excited to see how Korda does because he's got wild cards. I think it's quite winnable against Chilich. could come up against Sangrin or Oji Aliasim. You know, I think he could, I think he could do well there. And, and you're talking on Sissipas, Benoit Paire first round. I mean, that's a very mm. entertaining matchup that could, I mean, that could go one way or another. Um, Kim also Caruso watch, you know, for yes. all of our long-term passing shot listeners, Caruso is in the main draw. He's got John Isner, uh unseed John Isner actually in, in the first round. So is what are you th- what are you sensing there? I I'm sensing John Isner's gonna win that if if I'm being quite honest. Oh
0: no, Caruso, Caruso all the way to <laughs> have have faith. Keep the faith in Salvatore. Okay. <laughs> um and then we've also got another five hundred on the WTA tour, St. Petersburg. Um Alexandrova is top seed at that event. Kudermatova, second seed. So the Russians are having a, a great time. Oh, Kuznet's for fourth seed. Um, yeah, tons of Russians in the draw, as you would expect. It's the home event. Um, and <laughs> I mean, perhaps more interestingly, Joel, obviously St. Petersburg is known for its quite out there kind of trophies <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. I'm not.
1: I'm not. I, I mean, I'm excited by the draw, obviously, but I'm, I think I am a little bit more excited about what they've got in store because I, sw- I, I just feel like Saint Petersburg are just like the most out there. One of the most out there tournaments in terms of kind of the the match. The tournament presentation of it. Um, there's interestingly going to be, so no Kiki Burton's there. I think she's a, a two time champion. Um, but I am interested to see how Clara Torsen gets on. She has qualified. Um, we spoke about her on last week's podcast, uh, really up and coming, um, Good, uh, tennis player from Denmark. She got Kasat in the first round. I think she could, that could be a potential upset. Um, so I'm interested to see how Clara Torsen gets on because I do think she's another big hope for, for women's tennis. And she seems to, you know, when she comes through qualifying, last time that happened, she won the tournament. So, um, she's in really good form at the moment.
0: Yeah, can you imagine if she won two tournaments uh, in a row from you know qualifying? But um, yeah, we've also got the Monterey event in uh, Mexico. No, that's a 250 for the women. Uh, Sloane Stephens is is top seed there, um, which is well. I mean, we, would, we would looked you... at that
1: Kim and we were <laughs> surprised by that. I mean, yeah, uh, Sloane St. Stephens. I can't remember the last time we spoke about Sloane St. Stephens. I mean, I want to speak about her you know, winning events and being in really good form. But I, I just can't remember the last time that's happened. But yeah, she's still the number one seed. I, I don't know if that's a rankings thing or, or whatever, but well, obviously it is, but it's not a form. I don't feel like it's a form thing because, um, yeah, she's not she's not really had a, a great time of it as, of late.
0: She's 44 in the world, but you think the the state of the form that she's been in, like barely winning matches, that she should be a lot lower. So I think that is, that is a rankings thing. It's gone kind of skew with because of how it's, you know, been um sort of suspended. Um Anne Lee is is at this event. Obviously she had um quite a good run at the AO to the third round, um shared that win with Contivate uh, before the AO as oh, well. Yes, yes. So uh interested to see how, how she'll do. Um Cerebo's Tormo is playing as is Bouchard. So will will they be both able to keep up their form from Guadalajara it remains to be seen. We shall tune in and have a look at uh, Katie Balter is also in action in uh, Monterey, so against Schmidliver. So I think that's that's winnable for Katie and Heather Watson's also there, opening against Kovinich. Cov- 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 Sorry, Kovenich. <laughs> <Yeah. Covenitch. laughs> <laughs> I wanted to add another syllable then, but I <laughs> I didn't. Um, but yeah, that that uh, brings us to uh, almost the end, Joel. And obviously, we'll be rounding up all those events next week, as usual on, on the Catch Up pod.
1: I know, really, really, really exciting. There's a lot of British, I think, action, uh, British players in action next week. So it'll be great to see how they get on. Um But before we do finish, we actually have a very special announcement. We can announce that um on the Passing Shot, on Passing Shot Meets, we have our next guest confirmed. We are going to be speaking to Drum roll, please. We're going to be speaking to Marcus Willis um, on Wednesday evening. Uh, our British listeners will remember Marcus Willis as the player who had a fairytale run at Wimbledon uh, all the way through pre-qualifying, qualifying and ended up playing Roger Federer on centre court uh, in round two. Um, I think uh, a few years ago anyway at, at Wimbledon Um he announced his retirement uh, from tennis last week and he has very kindly agreed to come onto the show so we are going to be recording with him on Wednesday evening uh, and hopefully putting out that episode next week but what we would like to ask our listeners is if you do have any questions uh, any listener questions for Marcus Willis please let us know uh, you can obviously contact the show on social media or on email um, but we would really love to have a few listener questions Questions to put in front of him Um, so if if you have any burning questions to ask him make sure you contact the show but uh, in the meantime um, I hope you've really enjoyed listening to this episode this catch up from the passing shot Um, if you do want to stay up to date with the passing shot on the ATP and WTA Tours as well as British Tennis remember to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you have been enjoying listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment.
0: And you can follow us on social media at Passing Shot Pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So do give us a like and a follow. Tell your friends uh, to give us a follow as well if they're into tennis. And if you'd like to get in touch with us via email instead, you can do so PassingShotPod at gmail.com.
1: And we will be back next week with another Passing Shot catch up, probably on Sunday evening. So I hope you can join us for that then. And we will see you again soon. kim andy murray's fourth child we don't know the gender yet but obviously we're gonna have to suggest some names out there um what are you thinking uh one let's say one one male name one female name what what would be your preferred choices
0: are we are we putting money on this joe are we having a sweet (laughs) steak uh oh if i have to pluck two names out of thin air i will go uh with freddie um obviously f- named after freddie nilson and
1: uh <laughs> oh yeah because andy murray is like <laughs> oh yeah freddie Nilsson's right you know inspiration for baby names okay uh,
0: and uh freya freya murray that sounds quite nice i think yeah okay
1: what about oh, you? obviously freya christie british oh host. yeah
0: oh yeah <laughs> I forgot about her
1: so okay uh okay fair enough i am gonna go for do you know i'm 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 keeping it very much in the family here i'm going if it's a boy jamie and if it's a girl, Judy.
0: <laughs> how how original, Joel.